Welcome to I'll Be Dashed, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father and daughter duo who are analyzing the works of P.G. Woodhouse. This week we're going to be discussing Hot Water, which was published in 1932. It's one of his few novels, although there are more short stories that take place in France as Anybody listening to this should know P.G. Woodhouse was born in Great Britain and lived there for a large portion of his life. But before World War II, he moved to France in large part to get away from tax issues because both Great Britain and the United States were trying to tax him. So he's like, well, I'm just going to cut all that out and just live in France. I'm just going to go to France and not pay my taxes. Well, I mean, he paid his taxes just through France, you know. And of course, we won't get into discussion about this, but that led to a, a, a pretty dark period in his life because he was in France during World War II oh. and was captured. And well, there's a lot more to Woodhouse. There's than a I lot do. more. I, I am in the middle of reading his biography, and there's a lot of stuff going on, including to a large part, a lot of Great Britain turning their backs on him, feeling that he was a uh, a traitor. I will point out that, you know, he he later got a knighthood. So, you know, it, it got past that. But uh But still I yeah, we'll uh we'll have to talk more yeah. about that because one, I did not know any of that, obviously, because I'm not the Woodhouse person. But also like I'm just over here thinking like Woodhouse is just like, you know, a really funny chap. And <laughs> I didn't know he went through any like any scary shit, which is quite an assumption on my part. And yeah. I want to apologize to the memory of PG Woodhouse. <laughs> the interesting tidbit on that is that one of the persons who uh turned his back on him, and I don't know if they ever reconciled later in life, was A. A. Milne the author of winnie the pooh but that that's sad why would the creator of winnie the pooh turn their back on anyone well it was all patriotism stuff and i i will say from where i am at in the biography is that for the most part woodhouse really didn't pay a lot of attention to events in the world okay it he was generally apolitical so mm. i mean it just didn't it, that's why a lot of his works are pretty much set in a not necessarily during a certain time but a certain period like stuff that was written in the early 1900s and stuff in the 1970s kind of seemed like they could have been in the same time frame except you know one of them has like more electricity and stuff and mentions recent stars but it still it's it still seems like it's like probably sometime in the 1920s yeah yeah i think that's fair because it you know obviously we've only read from like i think the earliest work that we've read is like 1910 about then yeah. yes yeah so 1910 to 1932 like a lot of things happened in that time span that don't show up in the three works that we've read it's pretty much there's a pg woodhouse universe and everything is set in that universe and it's this un 
named time frame, but it's mm-hmm. always within that time frame. <laughs> so okay. this book also it features uh Gordon Oily Carlisle and his wife Gertie, or it becomes his wife spoiler by the end of the book or about <laughs> they also appear in another Woodhouse book, Cocktail Time, published in 1958. And Blair Eggleston also appears in a Jeeves story. Oh, okay. In 1965. So that'll be a little bit down the road for us in another year. <laughs> in in St. Roque, which I'm probably pronouncing correctly. You think you're pronouncing correctly? Incorrectly. Oh, okay. I was like, that's quite a bold assumption to make, Dad. I don't know that you're wrong, but I don't know that you're right. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Even though I'm part French, I'm very bad at the French language. I um, I'm, I also assumed St. Roque. We're going to pronounce it as St. Roque, and you can just chastise us for our stupid American ways and be right. But that also appears in the novel French Leave in 1956. So for everyone who's making fun of us right now, because we're probably mispronouncing this place. It is a fictional um, place, so... Oh, it's a fictional (laughs) place, so you don't know. I may offer a correction later if my resident French speaker gets back to me. Or we might just mispronounce it the entire time, and you'll just have to deal with that. I can just do what I did when we were talking about Booty Birdie Wooster, and I was worried about mispronouncing his last name because it just, my brain was blanking on it. I just avoided using the last name. <laughs> That's so. true. You know, in the town. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just start at chapter one. All right. Well, I want to mention right off the bat that Chapter one, we have our first mention of austere. I, every time I noticed it, I underlined it. Yeah. So. I I don't know that I got everyone, but I know that there are at least three in the book. I think there's more than that. There there could be more, but those were like. Because I I also underlined austerely. I think there might be five. uh, There are multiple mentions of austere in the book, but. Yes. He he got it right away the first chapter. So we we open up at the Chateau Blissac and meet Jay Wellington Gedge and his his wife. Gedge is an American and a businessman uh, whose business ventures have recently gone for the worse. He's not very fond of France and wants to go back to California. <laughs> wife, however, wants him to become the ambassador to France. An occupation he most decidedly does not want to do. But she wears the pants in the family. So she summons him one morning to let him know that she will be going back to London to meet with her lawyer. She came into the marriage rich based on what her previous husband left her when he died. Mr. Gedge thinks that this means he will be able to attend the Festival of the Saints. But his wife informs him that he will be hosting Senator Opal and his daughter as well as the, and I may be mispronouncing this incorrectly also, the Comte de Blissac, who is a French nobleman, who I will just refer to as Vic, because that's yes. the nickname that he is given. That's that's the nickname he's given. I think it's, I, I could also be wrong, 
this is going to be a fun episode where we just butcher the French language. Yes. Again, um, we are part French, so. We're part French. We speak no French. <laughs> to my grandfather, rest his soul, who <laughs> was Jean-Baptiste or. Jean. Jean. In America. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be Vicomte. You, you could be correct. That's what I was going to pronounce it as, but I was sure. like. That sounds like what an American would say. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like the Americanized version of a very so French we, word. We can go with that. We'll just say a Veek. Veek. He's the only one <laughs> of that title in this story. <laughs> right. Mrs. Gedge wants Opal to help her husband get the ambassadorship, but Gedge thinks he won't because the two had a disagreement over golf. Luckily, there's very little mention of golf in this. I don't think I don't think that backstory is ever mentioned again. Yeah. It's mentioned that they don't get along, but I don't think it's ever mentioned. I, that I'm just really golf. interested when we do get to the golf stories, how you're going to do. I'm going to bash my head against the wall. <laughs> Veek's mother is who they rented the place from, and there was some talk about them being told that the plumbing was good, and it most decidedly was not, and that will come up again later. It, it does come up, but not in any like way that you would expect plumbing issues to come up. Yeah. No, just talking about how it's it's yeah. wasn't good. Yeah. At a hotel in the same town, two Americans, Gordon, Oily Carlisle, and Soup Slattery, me. Oily is a confidence man and Soup is a safe cracker or safe blower, I guess. Mm-hmm. They aren't close friends, but are delighted to see an acquaintance outside their country. They talk about their woman problems. Oily's partner in Paramore left because she was upset he worked with another woman. And Soup's partner, Julia, who acted as his inside person on jobs, told him uh, four years before that she was done. It's made it hard for Soup, and he has done stick-up work. Basically, you know, stick them up. up. Yeah. (laughs) Which... <laughs> he feels embarrassed about that and oily can't help look down on him about it. Mm-hmm. Soup mentions a safe at the Chateau Plissac, but feels he can't do anything out without an inside person. Mm-hmm. Inside person, basically somebody go in and to set the scene for him to get everything ready for him to be able to go in because Soup's not the type of person who just can finesse his way into a house. He's yeah. Yeah. His nickname is Soup. I think that's <laughs> all it really needs to tell you. Well, but his, his nickname is Soup because that's the nickname for Dynamite. True, but it's also very fitting for him. So if But if you think about it under that logic, then Soup is actually like a badass nickname because you're being fair to Dynamite. I mean, okay, but also... Dynamite, I, I really liked Soup. I thought he was fun. <laughs> Dynamite. Also, not something you're just going to bring out in polite company. <laughs> I suppose. So, soup is very, I, I don't know how to phrase it. He's hes not one for the gentry, I guess. <laughs> Are you saying he's one of the common folk? He's Chicago. Ouch. He's Chicago, like. For those of you who are listening who don't know, <laughs> Robin lives outside of Chicago. <laughs> He's like one of those guys in the uh, SNL skits about Chicago's the Bears kind of thing. <laughs> He's like one of those guys. I, I guess that's fair. I feel bad for anyone who hasn't seen those episodes of the SNL. 
<laughs> but the the two of them bemoan that they're unable to work anything and soup heads out where he runs into uh mr gedge who is going to the bank for his wife soup tries to stick him up and it turns out gedge uh doesn't have any money on him and the two of them realize that soup has stuck him up before in <laughs> chicago <laughs> And they're basically really happy to see another countryman, and they go to drinks together with Gedge borrowing money from Soup, which yep. I, I just found hilarious. Gedge complains about missing home, and he complains about the ambassadorship. Soup mentions that in addition to wearing uniforms and knickerbockers, and Gedge calls ambassadors who would do this, sissies, which is a little bit, you know, a different... <laughs> point of view from a century ago basically gedge will have to wear a cock hat and be kissed by frenchmen <laughs> gedge decides he won't do it and just needs a little capital so he can get his business going so he can move back to california with or without his wife soup points out that he doesn't have any and is unwilling to provide any gedge talks about his wife jules and mentions she's going to london so soup goes back to oily and they decide Oily will get acquainted with her on the boat by su suggesting that he is with the French government and also would be able to help get the uh, ambassadorship. So that that's uh, chapter one. Mm -hmm. Do you have any comments about anything that I've said? How do you feel so far about the book as far as this chapter? I mean, as far as this chapter, I was enjoying it. I appreciated the little details and i did really like i said like i liked soup a lot <laughs> um i don't know if that's just because i identified a fellow chicagoan but i did have a couple notes one of them th this is the part where i go through my annotations in the book so i'm going back a little bit but at the beginning when we first meet mr gedge you know he's bemoaning being in europe and how much he misses california and I underlined when he was talking about wanting to wander around among the hot dogs and filling stations. And I think that's a very non-American view of America, that it's just hot dogs and filling stations. Well, to be fair, at that time, uh, Woodhouse had been to America many, many times. Okay. I can't remember what year he first went to America, but mm -hmm. uh, since like at least 1910 he was pretty much in america like at least two to three times a year every year wow yeah because he was uh doing well he was also going to new york for his publishing company and stuff but he was also had musicals and stuff that he was working on so he he does have an englishman's familiarity with america okay i just i thought it was i mean i thought it was funny it's one it's like one of those uh, like BuzzFeed lists of like non-Americans saying what they were surprised to learn about America when they came. <laughs> and, and you also got to remember, this is America that we're not used to either. So yeah, yeah. I also made a, a point, and I, I kind of want to offer a trigger warning if anyone wants to skip the next couple minutes uh, because there's talk of suicide. So getting that out of the way, skip forward like a minute and a half. In the first like 17 pages, which is not actually 17 pages, it's like six, depending on just like page numbers. 
there's like five mentions of suicide and I was very confused about it. And now that I finished the book, I'm more confused about it because there's no other mention of suicide. <laughs> I, I believe that's just one of those things where um, talking about it like back then was yeah not as big a deal. Yeah. Is it not? So it, and you, you got to remember, this is a comic novel. You're joking yeah. about stuff like that. This is the same writer who has kidnapping children as a humorous. That is fair. Point. Point. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is very fair. It was just something I made note of because I'm like, okay. Yeah. It, <laughs> there are going to be circumstances where we mm -hmm. look at the work through modern times and be mm -hmm. kind of like, wait a minute. But yeah, I, I it doesn't happen as often in Woodhouse as it does with other authors of that time. But yeah, there are a few times where it's like, you know, Oh, making jokes about suicide, or, mm -hmm. or I gotta be honest, I because I'm so used to reading sure. Woodhouse at the time that I didn't really note that at all. Yeah, well, and that's part of the reason I did note it, <laughs> just because you know I'm obviously not as familiar with Woodhouse, and so it was something that stuck out to me. <laughs> but I mean, and it's not it's not like a condemnation or anything. Like obviously, we're reading this almost a century later after after it was written, very different times and and with what is acceptable to make jokes about and what is not but it was just something that sort of like grabbed my attention especially because i know that it doesn't show up the rest of the novel yeah but i'm also like you know i think not to get into like psychological you know <laughs> debates especially since you're more knowledgeable in that area but <laughs> People still make jokes of like, oh, I could just kill myself and stuff like sure, that. Sure, yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Woodhouse also jokes several times about uh, characters, often the protagonists, like saying things about like essentially wanting to kill the other person in a joking manner because yeah. they're interfering with their plans or they're just being obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And so I think a large part of why you find it humorous is because it's done in such a dry manner. Yeah, no, that that's totally fair. It's just, like I said, just something I stuck out to me. <laughs> okay. Sort of going into how we were talking about how there's this, like, timelessness to Woodhouse works. Yes. There is... That mention... was the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there is mention in Chapter 1 of why Mr. Gedge, you know, has lost money there's mention of like the big crash and then i made a note because i i looked at that part and i saw that it was published in 1932 so is that do you think that that's a reference to like the great depression and the, uh, the crash of stock markets i i assume it is uh it it's not the only time he's ever heard to you know the stock market crash I, i've seen it in other works like I was saying near the beginning, he he doesn't necessarily think about the outside world that much, but he will make you know references. He he has made mentions of World War One mm -hmm. in his books, but not in a way that you would be like, "Oh, this is what he's talking." About. He's like just talking about somebody reading a newspaper and seeing something about this, and then you kind of look, "Oh, yeah, oh, that was." Mm -hmm. World War One or the Great War, as they called it at the time. Yeah, but it it's not what he's looking to do. 
So mm -hmm. it's just a minor plot point for mm -hmm. him in this. This is why the guy lost some money. Okay, well, we move past that now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, fun fun tidbit. Uh, don't need to focus on that. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but that was just something that I, I sort of underlined because as far as I know, that's the first reference in these, like, first three books that we've read mm -hmm. to something that happened in, like, the outside world, or at least the first one that I really noticed. Yeah, as far as, like, his standalone novels, they they will refer to the time frame a little bit more. Like, if you... If you read the Jeeves like entire series, it kind of seems like it's all done with like a four or five year period. And it's written from like 1916 to the mid 1970s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it seems like it's all within the space of the <laughs> five year period. <laughs> Bertie had a very, very busy five years. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was still in his mid 20s the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> If you think about it that way, it just means that like like every two weeks or so, Bertie was solving another friend's issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on to chapter two, another use of the word austere. Like almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe that's why I noticed them because when I, I, I noticed them on my second run through while I was working on the synopses, you know, so I look and I was like, boom, oh, I see austere. Whereas well, when I was originally reading them, I, I saw them, but I didn't note them specifically mm -hmm. uh but in london patrick b franklin we will refer to from now on as packy or at least i will <laughs> yeah i'll probably say packy too but i won't like it packy packy it just sounds so stupid why would you shorten patrick to packy oh okay this is woodhouse i mean it, it seems just but, a little strange to be complaining about people's <laughs> names on a Woodhouse novel. Fair, but also this is just providing more proof to what I brought up last episode about his love of nicknames that end with E. Because every single male, male character, or almost... Soup. No, 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 that wasn't where I was going. Every... Soup. Al almost every male character in Jeeves, that My Man Jeeves that we read last time, had in the four stories that you've read. No, this is including the the Reggie Pepper. So eight. <laughs> all of them. Corrected. My apologies. Almost all of them ended with E, and now we have another one that makes no sense. At least those ones made sense. So like Shorty Patrick to Packy, like that makes no sense. That's reaching Woodhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you got to be all up in Plum's business? It's just. By the way, that's his nickname, Plum. And you're arguing about Patrick the Packy. Well, maybe he want. What was his actual <sighs> name? I don't think I. What's his first name? I just think of him as PG, which again oh. ends in E. His name is Pelham Grenville Woodhouse, and yes, his nickname is Plum. And I know there's a reason for it, but I forget what the reason was. Did he just really like plums? I don't believe that that was the <laughs> But, okay, so rant aside, this it bugs me. This podcast is off the rails. <laughs> it, just, it just bugs me, okay? okay. It make, that one makes no sense. Okay, well, we meet Packy. <laughs> Packy is a young millionaire and a fairly well-known sportsman. He played uh, at Yale. He played at Yale. It was mentioned once or twice. 
like four times. Damn. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I know his position too. I think he was a cornerback. Honestly, don't remember. I, I'm pretty I, sure. I saw football, and I'm like, okay, football. Yeah, I, he played football at Yale. I think he was a cornerback. <laughs> He's at the train station to see his fiance off, Lady Beatrice Bracken. Beatrice is a lot like many fiancés in Woodhouse stories uh, who are not fiancés by the end of the story. <laughs> and that she doesn't particularly seem to like her fiancé, gives him true. unreasonable rules and chores that he has to abide by, and that doesn't approve of his lifestyle and or friends. And I'm sorry, you were about to say something? Oh, I said that's very true, and I, I just wanted to point out that it, it also seems like she's trying to make him into something that he's not. Well, that that's pretty much okay. even even the people who do end up getting married. That's a lot of where fiancés are in Woodhouse's story. Okay, he wants to go off on a yacht, but she insists that he stay around London and be around Blair Eggleston, who is a friend of hers. They are greeted by Veek. He starts to talk about some of Packy's past exploits, which Beatrice does not approve. <laughs> Nor does she approve of Veek at all. Before Beatrice leaves, she tells Packy he's to meet Eggleston at the Hotel Northumberland and that he needs to get a haircut. Oh, yes. I Just a quick note, because I don't want to talk about it later because you offered the perfect segue. She says that he needs to go get a haircut because he looks like a chrysanthemum. And I, <laughs> I, I thought that was so... Apparently, when I read it, I thought that was so insulting. I wrote yikes next to it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he took it well. <laughs> he did take it well. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'll go get a haircut. Generally a very affable young man. Yeah. With the occasional lapse, which we will get into. Packy goes to the hotel to both meet Blair and to get a haircut because there is a barbershop at the hotel. But it turns out that the barbershop has gone on strike. <laughs> so there are no barbers. <laughs> While he's waiting, the phone rings and he decides to answer because he can't just he let can't a phone not ring. Answer. <laughs> Which I can understand that. I get it. It's Senator Opal insisting someone come to his room to give him a haircut. Packy is about to inform him that he's not a barber, but changes his mind and goes upstairs to the room and starts giving the senator a haircut, even though he has never... absolutely no skill at it. He's never cut hair before. <laughs> the senator's daughter, Jane, comes to the room to talk to her father. She tries to talk to him about who she wants to marry, but the senator bulldozes over this and wants to know about the ballot he is supposed to have. At this point, the senator notices the absolute awful job Packy is doing on his hair and goes to attack him, but Packy escapes. Packy run in, runs into Eggleston in the lobby. And it turns out that he is actually Jane's fiance. Jane comes down and yells at Packy because she was trying to get her father to agree to her marrying Eggleston. Packy offers to help him. And at this point, Jane recognizes him because if you don't know, he played football at Yale. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been a very big fan of his since. Yeah, apparently she's a big football fan. <laughs> Yeah, he and Jane team up to give Eggleston advice on how to approach uh, Opal and Eggleston departs. Jane and Pecky converse about Beatrice and Eggleston's job at the BBC, where he makes noises for recording as he's such a great novelist that nobody really reads him. 
he's he's too much of a genius and he's not appreciated. Correct. Eggleston comes back and tells him that he's been inadvertently hired as Opal's valet, as the senator thought that he was the man being sent around to him. Later, Jane calls Packy and tells him that Mrs. Gadge, who had come to see Opal while he was talking to Eggleston, informed the senator that she did not receive the letter he sent her, but instead was accidentally sent the letter he sent his bootlegger. As the senator was elected as a proponent of the dry agenda, got to remember this is 1920s America and where uh, prohibition was in effect. If that got out, it would ruin him. So it seems like he may have no choice but to try to get Gedge to be an ambassador. Jane suggests to her father that she could get the letter away from Mrs. Gedge and that if she did, she would want permission to marry who she wanted. The senator agrees as Jane and Eggleston will be going to France and Beatrice wanted Packy to be around Eggleston. Packy convinces himself that it would Beatrice would be fine with him going and sets about getting a boat. And that's the end of chapter two. So I only had a couple things. Okay. The first of which was just me underlining the one time in the novel that they say the name of the novel, oh. which is when Beatrice is talking to Packy and saying that she expects he'll get into some hot water of some kind the moment her back is turned. Mm-hmm. I just underlined that because I, I thought that was fun. <laughs> I like when I like when the names show up within the context of the story. I'm trying to figure out why I underlined this sentence. Oh, okay. It's when it's when Packy was giving uh, Senator Opal a haircut because he wanted to, I guess. And after Senator Opal sees what is on his head he said you call yourself a barber and i appreciated packy's response because he just says i'm glad you brought that up no (laughs) (laughs) i I just underlined it because i thought that was a perfect example of the type of humor that woodhouse has and what i i agreed with you oh okay sorry sorry it was confusing (laughs) Sorry, I just didn't, I didn't know what you said. I thought you were like correcting me if I said Woodhouse wrong or something. Another reason that I appreciate it, like one, I just I like that you know point blank English humor, and the other thing is that I associate that most with like Tolkien is because he does that. It, <laughs> listen, Dad's making a face. He does that at really random points within like the Lord of the Rings story, and the most obvious time that I can think of is when. Uh, the fellowship is in Mines of Moria and Gandalf is like trying to be comforting and he's like you know I think it's it was meant the ring was meant to come to you and and that is a comforting thought and Frodo's just like no it's not (laughs) always gonna make everything about Lord of the Rings (laughs) well I mean I am a Hobbit's reading list on YouTube and Instagram what's up and Um, got the plug in So anyway, I just, I underlined that. I thought that was great. The other part that I underlined was just Packy talking about football again. Is this um, thing <laughs> that bothers you? No, it's just one of those things where I'm like, okay. It, it was more of like the way the sentence was written. Okay. So I, okay. So I'll just say it. What is lunatic behavior in the ordinary man becomes mere playful eccentricity in a football hero. And it just, I, I underlined it because I'm like, I feel like that still applies today. Oh, I was about to say, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like football players. I mean, some interesting... football heroes, it's just any, any sort of hero, person, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like they do some interesting things, but it's just like, oh, but it's okay because you play football or you play yeah. basketball or whatever. 
Whereas if a regular person did that, you'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that <laughs> that was it. I just I remember reading that be like accurate. Something else in in this chapter I also noticed is that and it doesn't always happen in Woodhouse books, but I think Packy and Jane have a pretty good back and forth, a pretty good relationship beginning. It, somewhat not similar, but kind of reminds me a little bit of Ash and Joan in uh Yeah, in something fresh. I think this is one of the cases where we're rooting for them already. Mm-hmm. And also Blair's kind of a stick in the mud. So <laughs> and Blair's no fun. No fun at all. It and Beatrice Definitely no fun. Not somebody Packy should be married to. Although I will have more to say about Beatrice later in the novel when she comes back. Oh, I did have a question. Yes. And this is maybe just a ignorance thing on my part. Do you know what a 10 spot is? It's $10. It, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it was just something that I, I put a question mark next to because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And I feel like I'm missing the punchline of a joke. <laughs> And I, I was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that was just if anyone else didn't know what a ten spot was, that's it's ten dollars. In the next chapter, Veek and Pack meet each other after Packy's taken his yacht, and Veek <laughs> waves to Packy, trying to get his attention, and does it so enthusiastically that he falls out and into the river. Packy gets him out. Packy tries to get Veek into getting him into the Chateau Blissac, but Veek doesn't plan on going there yet or possibly at all. So him attempting to get Packy in would likely do worse for Packy because Veek wants to, you know, stick around the festival and have fun mm-hmm. and not hang around with Mr. and Mrs. Gedge. Veek also suggests that Packy is doing this for Jane Opal, which he is, but Packy protests that he's engaged to Beatrice. And it's going to be one of those circumstances where everybody knows what's going <laughs> on except for the person. Veek talks Packy into joining him at the Jamboree at dinner that evening. And yeah, it, this was a shorter chapter. Yes. Basically just setting it up, get, moving the pieces together, you know, getting both Veek and Packy to the Jamboree. And of course, there are going to be other people there. And that's where things are really going to start <laughs> twirling around and we'll see if anything flies off. So I had a I had a little thing. This one sort of bothered me. Okay. <laughs> so and and it's it may sound stupid. I'm so glad I decided to get you to read Woodhouse. <laughs> well, no, okay. So listen, okay. <laughs> So when when Veek and Packy are, you know, reunited after Packy pulls him out of the water. I don't know if it's a lake or a river or whatever. I'm not sure. It's probably a lake. Probably, yeah. Or the ocean is also I, a possibility. No, it's not the ocean. The channel? Could be a sea. Could be a sea. Not, the, not ocean. the ocean. Not, definitely not the ocean. <laughs> anyway, um, after that, they're talking. And Packy makes a comment about how your habit of dropping into Yiddish is a little confusing at times. Oh, okay. At no point that I'm able to identify, and as someone who is commonly around Jewish people, being a Jewish person, I didn't see any Yiddish happening. I think that's more has to do with Packy's misunderstanding mm-hmm. of language. Okay. <laughs> I, 
I, I, no. I, was like, I, I don't oh think Woodhouse was trying to say, oh, this is a Yiddish word. I think he was trying to say, Peggy, lovable, not Idiot. that bright. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just making sure. I'm like, did I miss something? <laughs> so I'm like, there, there's no Yiddish. Because <laughs> trust me, I would notice if there was. The only thing is like the use of the term a great wrench, which one, not Yiddish. Oh, I can see that because, again, Packy's not that bright. Sure. A word that sounds like wrench might sound Yiddish to him. Yeah, and I, I, I get that. It was just like, I don't I'm think like, it's Woodhouse saying anything about Yiddish. No, or, I, I didn't think that he was either. But I, it, I think it's just one of those ones where, oh, these two people don't understand each other. Don't communicate well. <laughs> they're kind of foolish young men. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, also, there was another austere. Was there? The yeah. Well, it was austerely, but. Yeah. And then, oh, I just made a comment about Packy's wonderful mental gymnastics in order to convince himself that his fiance would actually be okay with him going to the festival. Like, be that, was, that was some really well, good gymnastics. There. haven't done mental gymnastics to say, no, they're okay with this. No, yeah. I, I agree. I'm just like, I had to really. I had to make a note of it because I'm like, that was, that was a really, that's a 10 right there. In fact, she'd be happy. Of course. It's culture. <laughs> Whereas, you know, just knowing somebody named Lady Beatrice Bracken, she's <laughs> not going to be happy about anything. <laughs> yeah, that was all I had for that chapter. Chapter four, another mention of austere. Yep. Soup runs into Veek that evening. Veek is wearing a lizard costume, which annoys Soup. <laughs> it- and also looks more like a parrot than a lizard. Which confuses the hell out of me. Uh, uh, he did really poorly at lizard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Packy may be smarter than Veek, so... <laughs> and okay. Packy is, again, a lovable idiot. I, yeah. I, I Definitely Packy is smarter than Veek, because we will see... Yes. Some of his, let's say, street smarts will sure. show up later. Or malice. I don't know how you want to frame it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, feels feels more um, manipulative. <laughs> yeah. Veek is wearing a lizard costume that looks like a parrot costume. Soup confronts him, but Veek is so generous in his offer of drinks that Soup forgets that he was annoyed with him and has now become a favored friend. Also, once he finds out that uh, Veek is the Vicomte de Blissac, so I guess I had to say it again, yep. realizes he can get all the information about the people at the chateau. The two of them are soon joined by Packy and eventually Gedge, who seeds soup and greets them. The four of them start drinking, which is the end of the chapter, which leads yep. to the next chapter, which... We can go ahead and get into, because I don't have any notes for chapter four. Yeah. Apparently, drinking and Mr. Gedge... Do not go well together. Or do they go great together? They don't go together. <laughs> <laughs> well, Veek and Soup are on the dance floor. Veek with a woman and Soup on his own. Packy tries to get Gedge to invite him to the chateau. Oh, I forgot. What? I forgot this part. I didn't make a note, but I remember really enjoying that interaction. <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> I say that with all sincerity. I Gedge's mood has dampened. 
instinct. <laughs> and he is belligerent and antagonistic toward Packy, but also very angry to the French in general. He complains about the cistern leaking, which Packy suggests Gedge let him see, but he refuses. Packy finally straight out asks Gedge to invite him to the chateau, and Gedge tells him that Gedge doesn't like Packy and never has. They only in, met a few hours ago. Yeah, I was like, in the like two hours they've known each other, Mr. Gedge has never liked him. Mr. Gedge should stay away from alcohol, or he should have a, have a cutoff point. Yeah. Which he just ran by. But also the other the other thing I enjoyed about that interaction is like when Mr. Gedge says that he's never liked Packy in their long, long acquaintance. But then for whatever reason football comes up again. Yeah. And and Mr. Gedge is like, oh, you played at Yale. I hate Yale. <laughs> Yale's football sucks. <laughs> and then Packy gets offended. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do like how Packy's trying to just let me come there and just trying to sweet talk him. And eventually at the end, he's just like surprised he didn't hit him himself. Obviously, it makes sense for the story that it doesn't hit him. But do you have anything else about this chapter? No, I didn't. It's, make it's any a notes very about short chapter. It's, it's a very short chapter. And I, so I didn't have a lot of notes. I didn't have any notes for that one. But it, it, I do remember how much I like that scene. Though. It's, it's one of the comedic highlights of it. Yes. To me, Packy and Gedge going back and forth is just like watching like some old vaudeville routine. It's just <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. The next chapter, Packy left because he knew he couldn't get anything with Gedge. He wasn't. He wasn't accomplishing anything. Yeah. So he runs into Soup Slattery. And helps him hide from cops who were chasing him. Soup thought the police were partiers dressed up and he socked one of them before realizing that they were actually police. Soup thanks Packy for saving him and says that he, if he ever needs a safe blown, really good at keeping his, his criminal career undercover there. Yeah. You know, they, they really didn't try to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> At least Soup didn't. Soup was like, yeah, I, I blow safes, and when I can't do that, I stick people up. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got to earn a living. Well, I mean, as far as criminals go in Woodhouse, and we'll run into more later in other books, Soup has an ethical, you know, philosophy. Yes. He has no problem, you know, committing crimes, but if he's loyal to you, he's loyal to you. And if He's loyal to you, and you're not loyal to him. He gets really upset, which we will see later. Which is also understandable. <laughs> True. I mean, <laughs> it would be understandable to get upset in any case, mm -hmm. whether or not you're loyal yourself. So he says, you need a safe bone. I'll be the guy to do it for you. Soup explains how Veek and Gedge got into a fight. Soup broke them up and then gets them all to be friends again. Then the two of them passed out and Soup got them to their separate locations. This gives Packy an idea. He first goes to Veek at his hotel and tells him that Gedge is unlikely to recover from their second fight, which they did not have. But he makes Veek think that they did. He tells Veek to stay at the hotel. Packy goes to the Chateau Blasac to be introduced as Veek. Gedge starts to throw him out, knowing that he is not Veek. But Packy tells him the same type of story, except saying that Veek is unlikely to recover. Gedge agrees to let him stay there. And so Packy is now at the house masquerading as Veek. 
I just made a really brief comment because I, I know you've mentioned before that like punching cops is a theme yes. in Woodhouse novels. But he, he makes soup is talking and he said that back home, what I mean, a cop knows how to take a joke and don't hardly even notice it if you sock him on the beezer. And I just wrote, I don't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> like all the cops I know definitely notice. <laughs> True, but one nearly a hundred years ago, and also Woodhouse has again, this is the person who said Hey, kidnapping a kid is a good way to get two people together. So I, I feel like that's just the the explanation for anything crazy Woodhouse says. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is that once you read enough Woodhouse stuff that you are now going like, oh, wait a minute. You just kind of accept yeah. that's something that is true in the Woodhouse world. So sure. when yeah. somebody says, oh, I punched a cop and I got. 14 days it's like okay yes in woodhouse world that's mm -hmm. true yeah obviously if we do that now we're like i punched a cop and i didn't get killed yay pretty much <laughs> <laughs> even back then i i would assume that punching a cop yeah and then this is so this was the first instance where I thought that Packy was being a dick. I mean, yeah, it's hard to get around <laughs> that fact. He is. It's, it's hard to. He's making two people think that they killed the other person. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And one of them We're... is like actually his friend. Yes. I mean, it, it's hard to get past. Hey, you beat this guy, this guy up so badly that he's probably going to die to two people. Again, we're in Woodhouse world where it's like, okay, but yeah, it's kind of like, who okay. <laughs> yeah, like I all I wrote next to it was, wow, dick move. <laughs> I mean, the only thing you can go is like, well, obviously there are no cops coming after them. So yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I've seen far worse behavior by heroes in Woodhouse books. So, and then my my only other thing for this chapter was <laughs> i i wrote tolkien paraphrasing but i realized that this came out before lord of the rings and i think before the hobbit I think so yeah I, i'm fairly certain i i don't i think remember. Hobbit came like in mid 1930s <clears throat> i think you might be right like maybe like 36 or something well now i gotta look it up <laughs> yeah 1937 ah, i was so close so yeah so obviously this came first but I'm more familiar with Tolkien. So I underlined this phrase, which I, I find more enjoyment. Um, if fewer people went about the place pretending to be lizards, said Packy, this would be a better and a sweeter world. Yeah, no, that's just a wood that's, that's just Yeah, that's just Woodhouse. <laughs> but I, I did appreciate, like, as soon as I read it, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I guess that's also accurate that if, if less people value gold... <laughs> Chapter 7, I kind of like this. I don't know if it, it's a, a story device that you like, but Woodhouse catches up with all the characters at the beginning of Chapter 7. I did like that. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Gedge is at her lawyer's office. Beatrice is at her father's estate, rereading the letter from Packy that he sent. Oily was on a boat on his way to uh, the Chateau Blissec. Soup Slattery is gambling at the casino. Veek is at the hotel worrying about the authorities coming to his door. Ged was resting his head in the drawing room. Senator Opal was walking around. 
Eggleston was brushing the senator's clothes in the servants' quarters. The social secretary, Miss Putnam, was doing a crossword puzzle. Cook was asleep, the butler writing his mother. Mrs. Gedge's maid, Medway, was cleaning and looking forward to reading her book. Packy was looking for Jane, and Jane was thinking. I, I don't know why, but I just like when it's like, okay, these are all the set pieces and what they're doing at this moment. It makes me think of, and I don't know if this is accurate, but like it reminds me of Clue. Like not, like not necessarily like the movie, but like how you can see like a house, and you know each one is in a different room and everything is like it's like a, just a bird's eye view of where everyone is. Yeah, in that moment. Yeah. It, like, and most of those characters have a part to play. There are a few mm-hmm. maybe come across as you know like oh red herrings. Like we don't really need to know what the butler's doing because mm-hmm. the butler doesn't really play a part. The cook doesn't play much of a part. She plays a very was small gonna, part. Yeah, I was gonna say, did they mention the cook in this one or the other one? Yeah, they. She she was uh, she was asleep. She plays a small part later in the novel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Also, her, she and the butler are not named. Yes. The maid is named, so you know. Oh, okay. So she's going to show up. Play show. Yeah, play a part. All right, one of the things Jane was thinking was about Eggleston, who's not really showing his best. <laughs> it, it's a little difficult with Eggleston because I don't like him, but uh-huh. also I kind of understand. Oh, yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> it's the same thing of, of like, um, what's his face? You're going to have to be a little bit more clear. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, oh, what's his face? Oh, the, the efficient Baxter. It's the same thing of like, like you're oh. reading it and you you get it. Like yeah. you get why he's doing the things that he does and yet you want him to fail. Yeah. It's the same thing with Blair. You're like, oh man, he's gonna step on that rake and it's gonna hurt. But I kind of want to see it. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's gonna hurt. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Jane kind of thinks that what the task really needs is somebody like Packy. Of course. And, of course, that's when Packy actually shows up. He tells her everything that has happened and of his plan. And she has no problem at all with him telling other people that they probably murdered somebody. Yeah, she, she's like, okay, cool, good idea. <laughs> You're so smart, Packy. It's Woodhouseian. <laughs> Jane tells him that Eggleston hasn't been that good at making plans. Being more upset at Opal for throwing oatmeal at him because Senator didn't like oatmeal. <laughs> Rather than, like, take this away. I don't like oatmeal. He just flings oatmeal at him. Yeah. I mean, and also, I think it's pretty understandable if you're upset that someone throws oatmeal yeah. at you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of the... I'm not saying women i'm saying a lot of the women in woodhouse books like kind of want the caveman care <laughs> sure. do stuff no complain yeah um, well plus i think they're they're a lot of the characters in general are pretty like cavalier about servant abuse i think <laughs> yeah well i mean it's like when uh when packy was cutting opal's hair yeah, she wasn't really paying attention to him because 
Yeah. He wasn't a real person. He was just the barber. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, in Woodhouse kind of uses that to advantage sometimes. We, we see that a little bit in something fresh like the hierarchy of, yeah, yeah. you know, servants and everything. So, it's just that none of the main characters in this are any of the servants, except yeah. like the ones who aren't really servants. So, spoiler, spoiler alert. The senator soon comes up to him and they highlight the plan for him, which makes him look at Packy as a godsend. Which, I mean, okay, but do you remember the haircut this guy gave you? None of that means anything. I'm just like, <laughs> Packy can pull it off. You were going to attack this man for the haircut of kid. You're now you're like, oh, you can help me, my son. That's pretty much how he responds. Which is because he assumes the hair- that Packy is the man that Jane wants to marry, and he makes the two of them kiss. Yeah, and also I want to point out the haircut is never mentioned again. That's true. I I assume that he got another. He probably got it fixed and had it fixed. Yeah. But- but still, it, like Packy uh, gave him a god awful haircut. Yeah, and it that is not mentioned. I think it may have been mentioned like offhand, but I don't mm. really recall. But I don't remember either. Yeah. So you now we have more and more things going together. Like Opal thinks that the two of them are engaged. Well, he's like mistreating Blair and about to be even worse. I think so. Do you have anything on this chapter? Oh, um, I only had one one thing. <laughs> it's when Packy is doing more mental gymnastics, but this time about how he has no feelings towards Jane oh, yeah. Opal. He made that abundantly clear throughout the novel. He's just yeah. doing this from the goodness of, of his yes. heart. That He's just let, trying to help this poor girl. By letting other men think they killed somebody. Yes. And so... I, my only note was I literally wrote, uh-huh, sure, next to the paragraph where he's doing his mental gymnastics. Yeah, I mean, that that that's accurate in the real world, too. It's like, no, no, I'm just doing it because I want to help. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm so altruistic. <laughs> yes. All right, in next chapter, Opal goes to Mid- Mrs. Gedge's room to locate her safe, which he does. He's then met by... M- Medway, who gives him a cigar and says says that he left it in uh, Mrs. Gedge's room. He tells her that he has an antique hobby, and so he was just looking around. Which isn't a bad excuse, quite honestly. No, but just the way he does it is just like... Oh yeah, the way he does it you is You can see him so there with the guilty. shovel. <laughs> yeah, like the way he does it is so bad, whereas like the actual excuse is pretty decent. Yeah. He talks about her reading material, which is a mystery. Medway claims it's about criminals trying to burgle a safe in a country house with the innocent-seeming maid actually being a detective. Which, you know, okay, makes Opal think that, hey, she's a detective. Because that's what a detective would do is hint to you that, hey, I may be a detective. (laughs) Also... I wrote a I wrote a note next to that, and I just so I just wrote LOL <laughs> because I I did find that really funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, Opal goes to Jane and Packy and uh, talks about his fear that Medway may be a detective. 
The three of them decide the best thing to do is to find out from her. And of course, the best way to find out information from a woman is that someone should ingratiate themselves to her by flirting with her. Yep. <laughs> do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, <laughs> besides the obvious. <laughs> you, you modern woman, you. <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> Flirting as a detective technique is a little played. It's not a bad. It's not a bad necessarily, technique. but the way that it's phrased. Is... Yeah, they're very much just like, oh, well, this is you know, she's a woman, so therefore the only way we can possibly get answers from her is by making her think that this valet is in love with her. Oh, but... you spoiled it. We didn't get to that part yet. <laughs> oh. <whoops. laughs> But the other thing that, like, this is another language thing that I didn't really highlight, but instead of saying, like, flirt and stuff, they say make love. Yes. Which, like, obviously, is it has a very different connotation now. But the first time I read it, I'm like, wait, they're very, be very cavalier about something that, like, is was not Look, wildly. Make love wildly is accepted. essentially wooing. Flirt. Yeah, wooing, flirting, yeah. seducing, but, but not actually... We, having sex. we don't look at that that yeah. way. When we say me, it's like, what the hell? Are yeah, because I was everybody? like, I'm like, this was not widely accepted at this time. <laughs> no matter how timeless Woodhouse is. <laughs> you got husbands and wife having separate bedrooms, and you got people yeah. just making love in the hallways. <laughs> yeah, making love in the hallways, making love by the lake, making love in the bushes, <laughs> like... making love everywhere. <laughs> So yeah, that was just something where, like the first time I read it, I'm like, okay, no, wait, context clues. Um, yeah. that's probably not what they mean. <laughs> it's still funny every time I read it, though. It is funny. It is <laughs> funny. And they, they they say it a lot too. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and I think even like Senator Opal says it too, like Packy and Jane, and like yeah. refers to them like making love or something. Yeah. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's so awkward. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, in that time when people yeah. said make love, they're talking about worrying. They're not they would not even say a euphemism mm -hmm. for sex out in the open like that. No, no, they wouldn't. Among mixed company, I'm sure, like, in some places, yeah. but... Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, anyway, Jane and Packy think the best person to do this would be Opal. Which oh, yeah! I'm just well, like... No, but that made sense. Uh, not <laughs> knowing Opal, it doesn't. Okay, well... <laughs> It made sense to me because Opal had already had a conversation with the maid. I mean, true, but so he already has knowing you know, what some we sort know of about Opal's personality. It oh just yeah, no makes no sense. Yeah, no, he's not the smoothest person. <laughs> no, uh, but Opal suggests Eggleston, and he tells Eggleston to do it, and seems to be satisfied. That's enough. I told him to. Make love to the maid, and he's going to do it. Yeah. Eggleston, for whatever reason, doesn't want to do this. And he's also annoyed that Packy has kissed Jane, despite Blair. Jane explaining why. <laughs> well, but, but did Blair know that they were faking the engagement before they kissed? Or did Blair see them kiss, and then Jane explained? I don't remember. I I, I, I think he he knew... Before they talked this time. Okay. Okay. Also, 
Opal made Eggleston shave and Jane does not like Eggleston with a bare upper lip. So this guy's just going screwed right and left. <laughs> it just it just gets worse. <laughs> if you like Blair, like you And I don't like problem. Blair, but I feel bad for him. Not yeah. even bad in a way where I think it's funny. I just think he does he does get shit on. It's continually. It's like, you know, you're a douche, but this is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Putnam comes to Packy as Veek, and she says Mrs. Gedge wanted him to see the leaky cistern. And that's the end of that chapter. I have to say, I really enjoyed when Senator Opal was talking to Medway and trying to explain, you know, his presence in the Venetian room. And he has a paragraph where he says, interesting, about nine times in three sentences and i wrote next to it interesting interesting <laughs> because oh, yeah. i really i really enjoyed it and also because dad knows that like when i'm trying to describe something that i enjoy but don't have another word for it i just say it's interesting interesting <laughs> yeah like i do it a lot and so i'm just like ah uh, i relate to senator opal <laughs> yeah i i agree with you that his explanation was fine yeah, but just did it poorly. Mangled it so badly. It's like if she yeah. wasn't suspicious before, it definitely is now. <laughs> and then the other note I have was about Blair's novels and how they apparently don't have any plot. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just wrote what? Like literally, I have three A's. Well, there's a reason that they are such genius works that nobody reads them. Of course, of course. I forgot that he was so genius he couldn't be understood. But yeah, that, that was just something where I'm like, I had just had to stare at that sentence for a couple seconds because I was like, okay. This was before I realized how much of a genius Blair was. <laughs> Woodhouse has a way of, and I don't know exactly if there are any particular writers, but he has a way of uh, kind of taking down other writers You'll have to see what he does to A.A. A. Milne when we get to that short story. Maybe that's the reason that A.A. A. Milne didn't like him. No, it was it was after. Oh, it was after? <laughs> it was after. Oh, no. Woodhouse was, pardon the expression, being a petty little bitch. Well, sometimes you gotta. Yeah, and I was there for it. <laughs> Next chapter. Miss Putnam brings Packy to see the cistern and asks him a few questions. She points out how well he speaks English for a Frenchman, which, let's be fair, I mean, why that hasn't come up before is like, yeah, I'm French. I sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he was educated in English school, which he and Veek went together. So, yeah. I believe it was Eaton, or was it at Yale? No, it was Eaton. Okay. I was going, maybe I just think that because I know Eaton or, comes up a lot in Woodhouse. I mean, obviously, he went to Yale, but I think he may have also gone to Eaton. Pretty sure it's Eaton. Anyway, Packy says he's yeah. traveled to America many times, and Putnam expresses that she is glad to hear that as she is an American. At this point, she notices the car coming, and it's the, I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, the Duke, Duke de Pont, I can't pronounce the other one. 
It's the Duke. The Duke. <laughs> who is actually Gordon Carlisle. Mm -hmm. She introduces him to Packy. And that's the end of that chapter. Carlisle has a bit of a reaction when Putnam introduces Packy as Vig. The two of them make awkward small talk until Putnam points out that they have uh, someone with whom they can talk to in their native language. <laughs> they make <laughs> even more awkward talk in French to the point that they are just identifying things in French. Oh, is that what they're doing? Yeah. At one point, like, uh, Packy points to something in basically says whatever it is in front. Oh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, I know they're, I thought that they were just trading the few French words that they knew back and forth. They were, but as they okay. went on, they're just basically... <laughs> okay. At this point, Carlisle says that he promised his instructor that he would talk in English to improve it. Packy says, me too! Yeah. In fact, he's like, yeah, that sounds really great. That's a, that's a good idea. <laughs> At this point, Putnam leaves and the two of them part. Uh, Carlisle goes to find Soup Slattery. He tells Soup he ran into Veek, except that he had encountered Veek a year before and knows that this man is not him. He and Soup think the man posing as Veek is trying to get in on their scheme, and the two of them make plans for Soup to talk him out of it as forcefully as needed. On his walk back to the chateau, Carlisle feels heated, so he decides to take a dip in the water. He's about to unclothe when a voice calls out. It is Medway, but it actually turns out that Medway is the Gertie that he had spoken of earlier. He's delighted to see her. She doesn't feel the same way. <laughs> It turns out that she is also looking to get a hold of Mrs. Gedge's jewelry. Carlisle asks her to go in 50-50 with him, planning to double-cross Soup. He says he's going to be the one to take care of Packy, even though Soup is really the one Carlisle knows is going to do it. Uh, yeah, nope. Nope. <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, good, good, solid chapter. No notes. In the uh, biography I'm reading, Woodhouse writes a letter to a friend that says that everything in this novel acts as a delayed bomb. What? Basically, everything keeps adding up and adding up and adding up and it's like, until eventually, it's going it to, to explode. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's like everything is like pointed towards that point and keeps moving closer and closer and closer. <laughs> so, uh, Soup goes into Packy's room thinking he's Veek. Packy wakes up and explains he is posing as V. He says he's trying to get back a letter. Soup agrees to help him and explains uh, what one has to do to blow a safe. They then go to Mitch's, Mrs. Gedge's room to take a look at the safe, whereas Soup realizes, wait a minute, this is a woman's bedroom. <laughs> I can't do this because it might involve violence against a woman, and I'm not going to do that. He suggests if they can get uh, Mr. Gedge to sleep in the room, he wouldn't have any problem <laughs> doing that. So, yeah. Violence against a man is fine. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. They agree that Packy will see what he can do about arranging it. <laughs> and Soup decides to take a look around the house to see if there is anything he can grab. Gordon Carlyle is unable to sleep well, so he gets up early and notices a pair of legs hanging off a ledge outside <laughs> Senator Opal's room. When he takes a closer look, he finds that it's actually Sue. The legs are attached to someone. <laughs> yeah. 
I so I I have that sentence underlined because I thought it was so hilarious. Uh, it it says, if they had an owner, were not simply a stray pair of legs which had just been left about, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> yeah, I often leave my legs just everywhere. Soup pantomimes for uh, Oily to get him a ladder, and Carlyle Carlyle does. But by the time he gets back, he sees Soup is no longer on the ledge. Opal opens his window and asks where his burglar is. Uh, Mr. Gedge and Jane stick their heads out the windows and ask what's going on. Opal tells him he found a burglar in his room, pulled a gun on him, and not wanting to lose any sleep, calling the police, put him on the ledge to deal with in the morning. Carlisle points out the water pipe next to Opal's room. Climbing down water pipes is another... Is it? It happens a lot in Woodhouse. Birdie is quite familiar with it. And I believe even Jeeves has done it. I may be wrong in that, but I believe it's... Have, have you ever climbed down a water pipe? Myself? No. Yeah. I I have not. I have tried, just for the sake of curiosity. It's hard. Oh, yeah. No, if I'm stuck on a, like, a roof or something, I'm... You're stuck. <laughs> I'm stuck. Yeah, well, especially because, like, I don't know, water pipes back then were iron? I... I... I'm not sure what they were, but it's a, it's a, it's a rough metal. Yes. I'll, I'll say that. Like, that's going to tear up your hands. <laughs> so it's it's not an easy thing to do. Jane calls her fa- father foolish, and Mr. Gedge, looking to get under the senator's skin and lose the ambassadorship, agrees. <laughs> Packy comes up and asks what's going on. Carlisle notes that Packy is unharmed in any way, which startles him, and he leaves to go find soup. Soup explains that Packy is all right and explains about the letter. Carlisle finds it plausible and makes plans to use the letter himself. He tries to explain to Gertie, but she refuses to believe him because she thinks he's a coward who couldn't beat up a great big ex-football player. (laughs) I mean, she's not wrong. (laughs) He he is scared to beat up a great big ex-football player. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he expected Soup to do it, but Soup's not going to beat up his friend. Yeah. So I, I already mentioned how much I like the the leg thing. Yeah. My <laughs> my only other note for this is I think I think another use of austere, but it's it could be. it's austerity. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're not we're austere, at five austere, austerely, austerity. Yeah. Any use of austere. Yeah. So we're at five. Woodhouse does another character check. Gertie is listening to the compliments of Eggleston. Compliments that he works hard on as he he is aware Opal is listening to him. Carlisle's trying to walk away his jealousy. Jane's writing letters. And Packy is trying to plan how to talk Mrs. Gid away from her bedroom. Miss Putnam was once again doing a crossword puzzle. The cook was baking a pie for her fiancé, a policeman named Octave. I would say Octave, but it's a French. I'm going to just say Octave, and I apologize to the French. (laughs) Just in general, throughout this entire episode, we apologize. (laughs) My my grandfather was 100% French. (laughs) I don't know if we can keep using that as an excuse. (laughs) Like, it's true, he was, but does that excuse us? He didn't teach me French, so... (laughs) (laughs) I took Spanish in high school. 
I took Latin. There's no use for that at all. That that's very true. I remember two words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know three just off the top of my head, and I didn't think Latin. I mean, okay, I guess I know like if you're you know a lot. If you're counting words that we still use, oh then yes. Yeah, that's what I'm counting. If we're counting words that nobody uses, I know none. No, I I know I remember two words that are not used in the common vernacular. What are they? (laughs) It's salve, which means hello. Um, and then asinus, which means stupid. That makes sense, actually. Right? Does that make sense for me to remember? <laughs> You're so and if, I, if I'm actually wrong, sorry. Now you're going to get the Latin people down on Right, that. I'll get the Latin people like, can you believe she said this? Not the Latinos, just actual Latin. Just actual <laughs> Latin speakers. Bunch of scholars. Yeah, I was like, which considering it's a dead language. Um <laughs> And you killed it. And also, I last took Latin about what eighteen years ago? Yeah. No. No, not last. Okay. It's like fifteen years ago. It was like I'm. I'm like I. I first took Latin eighteen years ago, and I last took it fifteen. <laughs> that's okay. I thought. Wait a minute. No, you didn't take it when you're twelve. No, wait a minute. Not twelve. Yep, that's oh. older than that. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, the cook is baking a pie for <laughs> fiance, a policeman who's waiting in the bushes. And Mrs. Gedge is standing on the deck of the ship with another passenger. Who could that be? Who possibly could it I, be? Who could it be? Mr. Gedge is waiting for the ship, worrying that a policeman might apprehend him. <laughs> Those poor guys. <laughs> right? You end up feeling really bad for Beacon, Mr. Gedge. I do. I, I I still like Packy, but yeah, <laughs> dick move. <laughs> yeah, like Packy is fine. <laughs> it's fine. He's fine. Uh, Mrs. Gedge comes down the plank and introduces Gedge to her companion, who happens to be Beatrice. Shocker. She asks for a hotel recommendation and leaves, declining the invitation to meet Veek, who she admits she knows slightly. In who is actually Packy, of course. Mrs. Gedge talks about Beatrice, who is engaged to Packy. Gedge starts when Mrs. Gedge mentions the engagement announcement, but stops after he says there was only a picture of Beatrice in the in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Then starts again when she mentions she knows Packy. Well, knows of him, but she has never met him. Mrs. Gedge then asks how he likes Veek. Gedge said they get along together fine and make sure she knows he talks very much like an American. Yeah. <laughs> she asks about his appetite as she thinks he seems much too thin based on the photo she saw at his mother's house. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this, this was just like a, a push and pull. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wait a minute. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it because I I kept doing, I was literally like perking up and then relaxing when I was reading this like back and forth. I'm like, oh, oh God. Oh no. Okay. we're Oh, whoa. <laughs> I, I really appreciated it. I thought that was really good. So in the next chapter, Gedge immediately goes to Packy and tells him Mrs. Gedge has arrived and that she has seen pictures of Veek and she has also seen Packy and asked who he was. 
And Gedge says, that's Veek. And she says, uh-uh. No way. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so confused why he's like, oh, well, that that's Veek. After well, she had already said that she's seen pictures of Veek. I, I think it's because he's like, he's going, oh, I didn't know. He fooled me. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's also under a bit of a strain because he thinks that he's killed somebody. <laughs> Packy goes to Mrs. Gedge and admits, hey, I'm not Veek. <laughs> <laughs> That's really his only option. <laughs> yeah. He tells her instead that he's a detective and says he's been sent to keep an eye on her jewels by her insurer. He tells her there is a criminal in the house. He does not suspect Carlisle, so he casts Eggleston as the villain. Again, it's hard not to feel bad for Blair. Well, plus it's it's another instance where it's like, sure, tell me again how you don't have feelings for Jane. Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, I guess the only person this could be is the person engaged to the woman that I do not love. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Packy says he's a friend of Veek, as proven by making him think he killed somebody, and is a- able to answer a simple question about Veek's name, which gives Mrs. Gedge some doubt but thinks maybe he is a detective i don't know (laughs) yeah that part was i was like so your way of verifying that packy is really a detective who also happens to be friends with veek is just by packy knowing his first name first name i was like "Uh, okay he's like that's really the only i mean quite a leap (laughs) it's like the mrs gedge at the beginning of the novel seems like an intimidating woman and even she seems intimidating to Becky at the beginning of this and then it's yeah. just like oh you know his first name okay yeah <laughs> i'm like eh. <laughs> yeah Packy tells her that he'll be keeping an eye on eggleston and she scoffs that meanwhile the man might be murdering her in her bed and that gives Packy the opportunity to say hey why don't you put mr gedge in that bed to be murdered instead <laughs> and she's like a great idea she was like awesome good idea and then uh packy leaves miss putnam comes from behind the screen and says she doesn't believe him it turns out that putnam is actually a detective that mrs gedge had hired she tells mrs gedge that the duke is actually orly carlisle she points out that packy could have easily looked up Veek's name, obviously. She mentions the reason he wanted to change rooms was because safe blowers don't like to get rough with women. She says that Packy and Carlisle probably aren't working together because they, you know, are kind of wary of each other. She thinks Packy is working by himself. They figure out that Packy is working with the senator to get the letter that Carlisle is trying to steal the jewelry. So... Putnam is really on the ball. She she knows yeah. her stuff. Putnam mentions soup and thinks that's who's going to actually be the safe blower. And yeah. asks Mrs. Gedge if she's heard the name before. Mrs. Gedge pauses and then says she has not. Mm-hmm. So this is the first instance where I was actually surprised was when Putnam reveals that she's a private detective. I did not see that coming. This is the second time I'm reading this. I would say I don't think I was surprised only because I, I knew there had to be something. And once you realize that Medway is really Gertie, sure. 
And because Putnam has been mentioned so much mm -hmm. in the book, you know that she has to be somebody. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, and it's, I, I read it the first time a while ago. I guess there could have been the possibility I thought maybe that's Julia. Mm -hmm. But I I wasn't overly surprised that she was. Sure. Yeah. That, that was just like, I wrote whoa next to it because I was like, oh, look at you being a detective. <laughs> I mean, part of it is just the way that she, and I think it was very obvious was manipulating Packy and Car Carlisle to talk French and everything like that. It's like, obviously she had a plan. Yeah. So it makes sense that a detective, I don't know that it would have made sense to me that she was Julia. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously because Julie is mentioned so much. Yeah. By soup. She has to show up somewhere. She has to show up at some point. So yeah, not to spoil what's going to be happening closer to the end of this podcast, but Julia does show up. Or yep. is already? <laughs> <laughs> Packy and Gedge talk, and then Mrs. Gedge lets her husband know that he will be sleeping in her room. Unfortunately for him, Gedge then sees a policeman lurking in the bushes. This is, of course, the cook's fiance who is simply waiting for a pie. He's just getting a pie. <laughs> Gedge I think Octave is my favorite character. The guy who doesn't talk at all. He doesn't, he doesn't talk. He's just, he's waiting, just waiting for, waiting a, for pie. a pie. He gets some kisses. He gets a pie and then he leaves. What more does a person want? <laughs> That's the perfect life, really. Gedge tells Packy about the cop. And then Packy goes and sees the cook handing the pie to the cop and the cop kissing the cook. He understands what's going on, but then he goes back and tells Gedge he's right. <laughs> he asks if Gedge told anyone he would be at the festival. Oh, the butler knew, which would maybe why the butler was mentioned before. And if they saw his costume, well, the butler did. Packy says the butler must have said something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really note it until I was just thinking about it now. Packy threw the butler under the bus, too. It's yeah. That's like, 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 this is another instance of Packy just being a dick. <laughs> I mean, and then he, he tells Gedge to go hide out on his boat. Packy runs into Eggleston and asks how he's doing. Eggleston groans a lot and says he doesn't want to make love to Medway anymore. <laughs> Packy says if he's unable to continue. <laughs> I don't know. Rest a little bit? No. Uh, he, should, <laughs> he should tell her that he, Eggleston, is a detective. Either Medway will admit she is also, or she will be so overwhelmed that she won't come near Eggleston again. Mm -hmm. uh, Gedge and Packy leave for the boat. I like that the time... That Packy's actually trying to help Blair. This makes it so much worse. It's totally going to screw Blair over. But also, I like his logic. Because Packy is like, oh, tell her that you're a detective. I've tried this recently, and it worked for me really well. Like, he literally says pretty much that to Blair. And Blair's like, all right, well, it worked for Packy. Not knowing, of course, that it didn't work for him well. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like immediately discovered, but Thacky doesn't know that. Yeah. So I wrote, oh, this is just me more about how much I like Octave. I <laughs> I like that this very minor character with no lines <laughs> basically appears in like two scenes. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I just put the crying laughing emoji next to the paragraph <laughs> where where he's getting the <laughs> just put the crying I'm laughing emoji. I am a kiss from a sweetie. <laughs> like it's just so cute. I don't know. It just it tickled me. I enjoyed it. And then my other thing, when Packy is telling Mr. Gedge that like the cop that Mr. Gedge saw is is very clearly coming for him. Uh, I just wrote poor Mr. G because I'm I'm feeling really bad for Gedge at this point. Also, and I don't know if it's the case. I it kind of feels strange for me to say cop. I don't know if they used the word cop back then. I imagine they did, but they soup uses cop. Does he? Reference to you know the police in America. I don't think that I think. Yeah. That English people. I don't think they do. Well, they they might now, but. Yeah, at this part, especially because they're referring to like a French policeman, they use that term. Yeah. Which I'm not going to try to say. The the what the the gendarme. Yeah. I'm. Fairly certain that was very wrong, Dad. <laughs> it could be right. I don't know because so something that my friend told me who speaks French pretty well is that like you don't pronounce like half the letters. <laughs> Gendarme. Gendarme. All right, so I pronounced it incorrectly. I got the second half right though. No, you I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. didn't. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> like you were. You were I'm old. Give me something. Oh, jeez. All right. Next chapter. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that was it. I just, I liked the pie and then I felt bad for Gedge. Those were my notes. (laughs) This podcast is actually (laughs) making me (laughs) not dislike, but, you know, Packy's going down a little bit in my the the more closely you look at his actions, like when you're reading it, it's like, okay, sure, yeah, for the yeah. story, la 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 la. But as you like talk about it, you're like, God, he's so mean to the people around him. You should be more like Octave. <laughs> Octave is the real hero of the story. This is the real hero of the story. <laughs> Carlisle heads out for another attempt at swimming. He runs into Opal, who tells him to be careful since the maid, Midway, is there flirting with Eggleston. As Carlisle has judged that Eggleston is appropriately sized enough for him to commit violence against, he plans to do so. Uh, Carlisle encounters Gertie, and they go back and forth a bit. Carlisle plans to leave, but sees Eggleston coming back and then plants hide in the bushes. He's unable to hear what the two of them are saying, but he sees that after Eggleston says something to Gertie. She has a horrified expression on her face, and Carlisle rushes out and attacks Eggleston. Eggleston, when Carlisle pauses to take a breath, jumps into the water and swims to a small island. He watches as Gertie throws herself on Carlisle as the two of them reconcile. Gross. Carlisle tells her he plans to blow the safe himself that night and tells her about the letter and how they can use it. 
Gertie tells him Eagleson said that he was a detective and they plan to get a boat to go to the island so that they can store, they can tie him up and store him away. So Packy trying to do something good totally screwed over Blair. I Okay, I had a, a question. Okay. So when Carlisle and Gertie are talking, yes, they have an, an interaction and Carlisle called Gertie like baby and she, she told him to not and he said, what's the harm? And she said, if you want to know how you stand with me, you are PF apostrophe F apostrophe FT and don't you forget it. And I'm like, what the does that mean? <laughs> it's on page 230. 230. Um, I think when I read that, I was let's see. I'm like, where <laughs> I'm well, yeah, and, and I'm just like, I feel like <laughs> I'm just like, is this some weird like shorthand that, that when I read it, that's what I thought it was like. <laughs> okay. Also with the little shoulder thing that I did that yeah that no one could see except me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just wanted to to make sure I didn't miss something because I'm like, what <laughs> yeah, that that's what I thought it was. I, I feel like he could have just said like we're Gertie made a scoffing sound or something instead of trying to write out scoff. That's not how Woodhouse rolls. Okay. The man has multiple people imitating him <laughs> laying eggs. So I haven't run into that yet. I just read it. Oh, uh, listened to a story on Audible yesterday with that. So okay. So <laughs> you shall encounter it again. Great. Oh, and then my other thing was that Carlisle got offended when Gertie made a comment about like him going to jail or or something about jail but they make up yeah. like 30 seconds later i was like you were so offended that she implied you were going to jail or something to that effect that you were like all right we're done i'm sad but we're done can't forgive you after that and then like 30 seconds later they're kissing and so i i just wrote like it would have been better if he was still upset about the jail comment um I didn't I didn't really take note of that because it's like she was insulting something that he feels he's really skilled at. Yes. So she she's hitting him where it hurts. Yeah. Which is understandable. But then it's like, oh, he kind of put it out of his head. It was like because mm -hmm. he's willing to let a lot of things slide because men in Woodhouse novels do that. They're very simple, apparently. They're very simple-minded creatures. Yeah. So uh, it was just—it was just something that bugged me a little bit. Opal heads to the hotel. Death of Strangers. I probably just—I am so sorry, French people. <laughs> Should I just put that in the podcast notes? We apologize. We apologize to all of France <laughs> and French speakers. But he went there because there's no alcohol at the chateau and he wants a drink. In the lobby, he runs into Packy, who is there to see soup after dropping Gedge off at his boat. Packy catches uh, Opal up and then goes to see soup. Opal is talked to by Beatrice, who has seen him talking with Packy. He tells her he was talking to Veek, which she obviously does not believe. 
<laughs> he also tells her that Veek, quote unquote, is engaged to be married to his daughter. Beatrice apologizes and goes off to write a letter. Packy tells Soup about the setup. Soup has a cold but says it will not stop him. Soup asks about the man who put him on the ledge, and when he finds out that it was Senator Opal, says he will no longer help Packy because he's not going to help the guy who put him out on the ledge all night. Understandable. Yeah. Packy asks Soup to do it for him, but Soup asks what Packy gets out of this. When Packy says he just wants to help Jane, Soup, not the brightest knife in the drawer there, supposes Packy is is sweet on Jane. So even Soup sees it. Mm -hmm. But Packy is offended as somebody would be when somebody makes an innocent mistake. Of course. Because it's obviously only platonic. Obviously. Seeing he can't talk Soup into uh, blowing the safe, Packy leaves. In the lobby, he runs into Beatrice, who does. I, I, I had to mention this because it's, it's a very common Woodhouse thing. She does the common Woodhouse thing of answering questions with quite nice, quite well, quite. I did notice that. It, it's like. <laughs> As soon as somebody says it, I was like, oh, man, you just shut up now because they, they are mad. <laughs> I did notice that. And I'm just like, uh, she's saying quite, quite, quite a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that she is in other ways quite an unlikable person. <laughs> I really can't help but, but admire the way she does this conversation with Packy. I mean. <laughs> yeah. She handles she, it pretty well. She, it's like she stabbed him through with a sword and was out the lobby before he even noticed he was stabbed. <laughs> I, I, I admired her in this chapter alone, if not anywhere else in the book. She, she hands him a letter in which she makes it quite clear that they will not be getting married. Pecky goes to get a drink and runs into the senator. He tells the senator that they're not getting a letter. Opal tries to talk Packy into opening the safe himself, but Packy's not a safe blower. So, oh, well, Packy heads back, but he's so distraught that he does not realize that Eggleston <laughs> is tied up in the boathouse. No, he's tied up in the boat. Packy drives back no, to I the, the boathouse. I think he's in the boat. Okay. We're going to have to check, but I'm pretty sure it's the bow house. I mean, you could be right. I mean, I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, the bow no. house. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, found it at the same time. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I remember thinking originally that it was the boat, too. And so oh, when okay. I was, you know, working on the synopsis, I was like, Oh, no. Okay. he Because I was like, it'd be a little weird if he was in the boat the entire time, even <laughs> when he was going to the hotel and never noticed. That's fair. I didn't think about that. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Veek has had enough of his confinement and leaves the hotel and decides to go to Packy's boat and implore him to take Veek to England. And of course, he runs, runs into Gedge on the boat. We don't find out what happened with them yet. Snoop feels bad about telling Packy no and decides to do the job. Did you say did you say Snoop? Did I say Snoop? 
I think you know, he said soup. <laughs> Yo, man, the D-O-W-G. <laughs> he do what he got to do. <laughs> um, soup. <laughs> now I'm, oh, you now know I'm what? Snoop Dogg cracking safes. That'd be great. But you know what? <laughs> no, you might not have said Snoop. I might have heard you say Soup, which is his name. But for some reason in my head, his name is Soap. <laughs> for some We've been saying brand, Soup the entire time. We've been saying Soup the entire time. Like, but hey, I think it's Soap. <laughs> just like in this moment, I'm like, no, his name is Soap. Dad said it wrong. But now I'm stuck, and I'm probably going to screw it up now. I'm probably going to say Snoop I'm again. just picturing Snoop Dogg just, you know, <laughs> sucking in a joint and then blowing into a safe <laughs> to crack it. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Soup. <laughs> Soup feels bad about telling Packy no and decides to do the job. He, he goes into the uh, bedroom, and he finds Carlisle at the safe. Yep, and that's how the chapter ends. That's how the chapter ends. I had made a. <laughs> it was too much to underline, but I, I essentially underlined an entire paragraph. Okay. About how Senator Opal was talking to Beatrice and trying to explain that he was talking to Veek, who may just bear an uncommon resemblance to her fiance. And there was this one time in Washington where he ran into someone who looked very similar. And then it, the paragraph changes to where Woodhouse just like, you know, this story is so long and convoluted. It's just too much effort to explain. So we're just going to skip forward. <laughs> I, I like when Woodhouse kind of breaks the fourth wall and just talks mm -hmm. to you as a writer. And it's like, you know, sometimes it'll go like, as a narrator of this. <laughs> oh, yeah. It starts with saying the duty of a chronicler to his readers. Yeah. Is to sift and select. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. I can just picture the story. I have enough context to put it all together for myself. I also, I think that works better rather than seeing a long paragraph about yeah. him being a, a, a blowhard who just yeah. goes Especially on about... and on and on. Well, especially because like to have written out that entire story, it does nothing for the plot. Yeah. And so there, there's, or it does, but like very minuscule impact. And so there's no reason for Woodhouse to waste the energy writing that. So I, I just really appreciate it that that was there. And he could have said he just went on and on, but this yeah. is funnier. It, it was funnier the way he did it. Yeah. My other note was, so when Packy is, is broken up with, and he's he's mourning. We get to discover that there are researchers who have compiled stats on how men respond to breakups, apparently. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because it says that 12.02% take the next train to the Rocky Mountains and shoot grizzlies, which... <laughs> Please tell me you don't think this was a real. No, I don't okay. think it's a real research. <laughs> I don't think it's a real thing, but I'm just like, why is that a coping mechanism that Woodhouse thinks is how you how you deal with to, the breakup? To answer that, I will ask you one simple question. Have you met men? <laughs> Generally, I try not to. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> men do silly things sometimes to cope with their feelings. <laughs> Thank you for explaining that, Father. I, however, have never done anything silly to cope with I'm like, I feel like I was just mansplained too. About men? <laughs> yeah. I, this, this is one where I have to say, you know what? There's a possibility that I may know more about men than you. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Considering I try to avoid them at all. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know if that really falls under mansplaining. <laughs> Unless it's yes, I was explaining about men. <laughs> that that was it. I was I enjoyed a, a paragraph and I was confused by shooting grizzlies, which <laughs> I think uh really <laughs> I know what you said, but it did not sound like you said shooting grizzlies. What do you think I said? Shitting grizzlies. <laughs> Nope, I would be confused said. about that too. I, yeah, I'd be very confused. That'd be I feel like that would hurt a lot. Um <laughs> in many I was, ways. I was just thinking grizzlies who shit. Apparently you were thinking <laughs> something else. <gasps> this has devolved so far. So far. Oh god, I hope this is as amusing when I edit it. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> so I have to. When I said shitting grizzlies, you were thinking people actually shitting out yes. grizzlies? Because, well, because in the context, you know, people are shooting grizzlies. And so when you said that you heard shitting, I'm like, okay, so people are shitting grizzlies instead as a way to cope with their breakup. I don't know why I ever compared you to Bertie Wooster. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dad is crying now. I'm not. <laughs> so, so this is a way of saying those are my only notes for this chapter. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution. I knew you were going to say that. All right. <laughs> okay. Moving it, on. Trying to make this next chapter, which is an amazing chapter in itself, almost seem anticlimactic now. <laughs> Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. I believe we have our correction to how you would pronounce the oh. sound. Sarah. Sarah? Sarah? Yeah, because it actually makes sense because I was thinking about it. So, Saint, with most, most French things, it's like son, I think. And so it'd be like saint -Ro. I'm just going to continue to refer to it as that town. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, just <laughs> brief, brief interlude. We're almost done with the book. It's like, oh, good, we got the. <laughs> we have to pronounce the dad's name. Also, I need you to know how I saved my spot in the book. Is that a spoon? It's a spoon because <laughs> I don't have a bookmark up here. Well, I do, but it's all the way over across the room. Oh, so I put a. I was about to say, how can you not have a bookmark? <laughs> no, I do. Oh, but... also, that's a hardback book. Yeah. You have flaps. But then, okay, but then it, like, bends the flaps or the, then the cover doesn't stay on as nicely. It's like when you stretch out, like, a bra, like, your boobs don't fit in the right way. That's a that. common problem I've had. <laughs> Why would you say it? I don't know. That's the, that's Why the comparison. That's the I... example you give me. 
because that's I don't when you stretch out a shirt and then you put it on again, it doesn't fit the right way. There is that better. <laughs> God, this podcast has just really devolved. We should I don't have, we shouldn't have had our conversation before we did the podcast. I don't know if it would have been better if we didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We had like one type of podcast for the first episode, another one for the second, and this one is just like off the rails. I think I think this one is a combination of the previous two. I actually think both of them were probably probably more organized than this one. <laughs> Which is weird <laughs> because we went into this fairly well organized. This is organized. It's also just a little chaotic. It's organized chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. The penultimate chapter. Packy walks around after dinner and discovers he's no longer that distraught. He decides that being without Beatrice is actually a good thing. Probably should have discovered that in chapter two. <laughs> but Jane comes to Packy's room, at which point he realized, hey, I've loved her all along. What? Jane says she told Mrs. Gedge that the previous burglary attempt made her nervous so you, she wanted to put her own jewelry in the safe. As Putnam opened the safe, Jane watched and she thinks that she and Packy should be able to open the safe themselves. Sure. Packy decides that although he loves her, he will do all that he can do to help her be united with Eggleston who he left in the boathouse tied up. <laughs> you didn't know that. Well, yeah, but... Um, my, my only note was when Packy was like, oh, I love Jane. I wrote, well, duh. <laughs> well, duh, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all all I could really say in response. I was like, it took you this long? Really? <laughs> all right. Uh, Soup moves towards Carlisle in order to attack him. Carlisle tries to calm him down, noticing that Gertie is behind Soup with a, a Voss. She conks soup with it. They push the unconscious soup under the bed. Gertie goes down to car to prepare for the quick getaway. Then Oily hears someone outside the door and jumps under the bed with soup. Packy turns on the light in the bedroom and he and Jane see that the safe is already open. They also see that the window is open. Packy checks on the balcony. He comes back and they find the letter in the safe. Carlisle comes out from under the bed with a gun and tells Packy to give him the letter. Packy refuses, and Carlisle counts to ten, but Putnam comes into the room, followed by Mrs. Gedge. Uh, she disarms Carlisle and demonstrates her pistol skills by shooting a small woolen rabbit off his head. I'm like, what if she had missed? Which, by the way, no one asked for a demonstration of I her shooting like, skills. You got no one... done, isn't that? Yeah, like when she walked in, no one was like, I don't believe you. Like, no one did anything. And she's like, I'm just going to shoot this off your head so that you don't doubt me. Also, not, not to get into the, like, science part, but wouldn't shooting a gun in that room be pretty damn loud and people's ears be ringing? I don't know about, like, pistols during that time, but I assume they'd be, like, as loud as pistols we have now. Yeah, I... I... Yeah, I assume she doesn't have like a silencer on or something. <laughs> it's just like it'd be on. I guess that I'll show you what. <laughs> well, also, like I, I, I don't know that much about guns. I'm assuming that pistols don't have like, like spray, like buckshot spray. 
No. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. Because, like, that would be really bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No. Okay. Just like, okay, great. You shot this thing off Carlisle's head. You also killed Carlisle with the buckshot. Shot the little rabbit and took off half his head. Like I said, I don't know much about guns. <laughs> that that would be a drastically different novel. <laughs> yeah, haven't you told me before that no one dies in a woodhouse novel? I have read one book in which people die in wow. the novel itself. Wow. That's not that bad, though. We will get to that in three years or so. <laughs> By which point I will have forgot this conversation happened. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably forget this conversation tomorrow. I'll remember it in a week when I start editing, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to let me holler. Oh, God. <laughs> I cut everything. It's two minutes long. <laughs> so, did you go through the whole chapter or no? No. No. I forgot how long this chapter was. She she demonstrated her, her, her skills. And she also lets uh, Oily know that she knows who he is. Packy tries to talk to her like a fellow detective. <laughs> <laughs> she tells him basically cut the BS. She knows he isn't one. Mm -hmm. She asks where Mr. Gedge is, and Packy admits he's on Packy's boat. Opal comes into the room between Putnam and the others, and Carlisle uses this as an opportunity to make a break for it, using Jane as a shield. Putnam goes after him, but he gets away with Gertie. She comes back to Mrs. Gedge and Packy struggling as Packy ate the letter. After this happens, Soup struggles out from under the bed, being pretty goggy, and he sees Mrs. Gedge and calls her Julia. I will I will say, I know what you were saying about, you know, Miss Putnam and everything, but this was also my this was a big shock for me. I wasn't expecting it. Oh, I, I'll be quite honest. I, I, you know, I to say no, I knew that, but no, I, I kind of had forgotten about Julia. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I just have a big what in all caps next to, <laughs> to Julia. Yeah. So when he said that, I was like, oh. Yeah. I no, I wasn't expect. I was expecting Putnam to be detective, mm -hmm. but I was not expecting Mrs. Gedge to be Julia. And Packy also recognizes that the Julia he's talking about is his inside person. So he basically lets her know, and her reaction convinces Putnam that she is who Soup says she is. Mm -hmm. Packy says she's unlikely to have them arrested now, and Putnam agrees. <laughs> <laughs> With that, she leaves. I mean, nothing else yep. you can do. Soup also takes his leave. At this point, Gedge comes into the room. After he and Veek met, they cursed Packy and decided to confront him. But they decided to get a little bit of liquid courage first. And so Veek passed out from drinking. So Gedge comes here himself, but then he passes out on the bed. And Packy points out, this is who you want to be an ambassador? He advises her to take him back to California. So he does. He does help. Does help after traumatizing him. <laughs> putting him through the ringer. She takes the warning and the rest decide to go to the hotel. 
Hacky walks down to the boathouse, and that's when he discovers Hagelston and releases him, and then leaves him alone with Jane. And yeah. that, that's the end of the chapter. Okay. So, going back to the partway through the chapter, when Soup decides that he's going to help Hacky, even though it's also helping Senator Opal, I really like his inner monologue, because he's he's walking up, and he's like, you know, Packy's a friend. He helped me out. He clearly loves this girl. And I'm going to help him, even though it's helping my sworn enemy. <laughs> and it, it said that he felt like a father brooding benevolently over his infant son, which I thought was really cute. And the next paragraph is when he sees Carlisle trying to open the safe. And he's like, and Mr. Slattery ceased to feel paternal. <laughs> and I just, I really like the way that that was written. <laughs> That was top-notch, top-notch writing. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I, I like Soup has his own specific ethical code. Yes. Um, and Carlisle does not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Carlisle's like, I'm going to use all the information to my advantage and screw everyone else. Carlisle will do anything for Gertie, but that's it. Yeah. I also just put another crying laughing face when Packy eats the letter and he said that it's as palatable a letter as I've ever tasted. <sighs> I don't think there's any other way that you can respond besides just like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought this was like a, a very action-packed sort of chapter that I, I really well, liked. This, this, this is where the bomb explodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's the detonation. <laughs> oh, I also you didn't you didn't quite explain it. But when Mister Gedge comes back and like he passes out, he goes into the Venetian room, which is where everyone else is, where all this this thing is happening. He notices them, and then he just crawls into bed and passes out. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think that's an important part. He's like, okay, and then he's just too drunk to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we got a demonstration of what he was like before when he was drunk. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he got he got past the I hate everything stage and more to the mopey passing out stage. Yeah. And then the final chapter, a after uh, Jane and Eggleston talk, she explains to Packy that Eggleston was very cross. Don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I don't. So for some odd reason, he's very upset. He also mentions that Carlisle and Gertie were talking about plans to get married, which okay. if I, cause I've read cocktail time already. Uh, I, yeah, I believe they are married in, in that book. Mm -hmm. So okay. <laughs> by the time that book starts, Jane also informs Pecky that Eggleston has broken the engagement, which I'm a little bit surprised at that only because how often Woodhouse brings up, breach of promise sure yeah so it was like wait a minute you're having the guy break up the engagement i mean i think in this context it, it's not like it's she's going really to... really justified <laughs> I mean, it is but it it's and it's also true that jane is not going to take him to court for this no but it's just it's it's interesting when a guy does break an engagement and doesn't get sued for breach of promise because yeah as, as soon as you read in a woodhouse novel or or story that somebody 
that a man is breaking up engagement. It's like, oh shit, breach of promise. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, Jane realizes that she probably didn't love him at all. Mm -hmm. Pecky and Jane admit that they love each other. And then (laughs) they embrace. Soup interrupts them and says goodbye. Packy tells him it's too bad that Soup wasn't able to get anything. And Soup says he was able to grab several pieces, enough to retire on a farm with. (laughs) And Soup doesn't appear again later in the Woodhouse. So I guess we can assume that he stuck to farming or I I don't know. I, I would assume, knowing Soup, that he probably returned to his life of crime but probably yeah but i i hope for him that he was able to make a successful farm <laughs> because for a, a safe blower and a guy who has to you know sink to being a stick-up man mm. he's a pretty good guy yeah <laughs> that's how it ends with our two lovers together mm-hmm. <laughs> after Screwing over so many people. Yeah, it's like it's like the ultimate story of love means everything, and everyone who doesn't agree with us or isn't us can die. It's just <laughs> it's interesting because I've seen like in other Woodhouse novels where the the person who would do this type of stuff is is the uh, not the antagonist, but kind of the is impeding the protagonist, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So it's just interesting that Packy, who is the hero of the story, and mm-hmm. and does often do the heroic stuff, is also kind of a dick. I also have to just one last note. Jane calls Packy a precious angel pet, and Packy replies. I am a precious angel pet. And that's my last note of the book. <laughs> well, to her, he is. And that's fine, but he doesn't need to be like, you know what, you're right, I am. <laughs> I, I, I mean... I could... Like, not only is he a manipulative... <laughs> you know, idiot. when we started this podcast, I liked Packy. I like Packy fine, but he has some faults. Well, look at this way. He probably won't have to fight for his unrequited love in the future, so maybe he won't manipulate other people into thinking they've killed people. Sure. Maybe. We can hope. <laughs> you know, maybe he might just take up a new hobby. <laughs> It, it it is really interesting that like i mean obviously it's a comic novel it is interesting that some of the characters have a little bit more depth than you would expect from what let's be honest this is a it, kind of a a farce novel you mm-hmm. know but like soup was you know a really interesting character with his own uh ethics beatrice who was like the typical absolutely wrong fiance for somebody and then you know like i said uh, when she broke off the engagement i was like i really admired her in that i do Mm -hmm. not like her at all but (laughs) i i 
I, I, I really like the novel. Um, yeah, I like, no, I, I like that really, a little bit less than I used to, but <laughs> no, I really like the novel. I, you know, I gave it a, a high rating. Uh, I, I rate all the books that I read, and so I, I it got a 4.5 out of 5. So I, I think all the Woodhouse novels or Woodhouse books that I've read so far have actually. Hmm. No, I, I enjoyed it, but I just also think that there are some parts where I just I try to pull it apart a little bit. <laughs> All right, so what are we reading next? Um, okay, uh, next time we're going to be reading Mike at Rankin. The Mike novel is in two parts. It's Mike at Rankin and Mike and Smith. Okay. Uh, but it all is also sometimes published as two separate books. So we're going to read it as that, which will be useful for us since March is going to be a busy month for us. So we will have, have a shorter book to read. But it is it is one of his school stories. There's going to be a lot of cricket. Oh, the sport. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was that was a that was a brain fart moment. I'm like, okay, no, I'm like, just because what? no, you said a lot of cricket. I don't know because it's more familiar with cricket. You than... you said you said school and cricket, and I went to bug. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, um, there's a lot of cricket, which neither of us understand very well. Yeah, I don't understand cricket at all. Yeah, and that'll be our next book in the book that we'll be reading after that is Mike and Smith. So it'll be basically be the novel Mike just broken up into two uh, sections and Smith, who we won't meet until the second book is one of Woodhouse's most popular characters, not up there with Jeeves and Worcester. And it's probably under Jeeves and Worcester and the Blanding Castle characters. And it's, he's actually, I believe, one of Woodhouse's favorite characters. But he didn't write too many books with him. I think there are a total of five okay. books. One of them, his last book being a Blanding's Castle book also. Mm. Which okay. is why we're waiting to get through the Smith novels before we get to the next Blanding Castle novel. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's it's. You don't have to read these in any particular order, but mm-hmm. I have forced myself. It's like, well, we're reading these series in orders. So sure. if if we're reading the second Blanding's Castle novel, well, we have to know about Smith beforehand. So we've got to read the Smith novels before that. So sure. no, it makes sense. So you will get your first experience with one of Woodhouse's school stories. So yeah, we'll yes. see how that goes. I haven't. <laughs> In in the Mike is one of the books that I have not read yet. So okay, the we will both be going into this as a new reader. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> oh boy, cricket! <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> All right. So this was our thoughts and feelings <laughs> and chaos about hot water. <laughs> which we got into i mean let's see we offended the french um, <laughs> many times <laughs> we talked about shitting bears um oh and pie pie now i want pie i'm gonna go get some pie everyone not, go get some pie 
I might get pie. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> Today is pie day. Go get pie. Especially if you're listening to this on March 14th. Hope Maybe I can try to get it out by then. Oh, this is going to be one of those things where you say, well, you have to put that little thing in it. She wasn't able to. <laughs> I don't think I can do that on an audio format. <laughs> Hold on. She wasn't able to. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I end up doing it, I'll just cut that part out. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we will see you in the next one with. We'll see if it's as chaotic as this one. It might be. It might be. All right, bye. And cricket. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>